We're going to be in Genesis chapter 7. Been a while since we've been in Genesis. Last we had, we had the statement ending in Gen uh, 6 that Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so did he. And we've been away from him for three weeks. <laughs> now we're going to be in 7. So looking at chapter 7, starting at verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come you and all your house into the ark, for you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. For every clean beast you shall take of you by sevens, the male and his female, and the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. The fowls of the air by sevens, and the male and the female, to keep them, uh, keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. For yet seven days I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that God had told him. So I want to stop there for just a moment. Noah has been obedient to God. He has been spent, he has already spent a hundred years building this boat. And we spent a while back ago talking about how big this boat was. I mean, it's 450 feet long by 45 feet tall, 75 feet wide. It covers most of a football field. And that's if you use the Hebrew cubit. If you use the Egyptian cubit, it's even bigger. All right, so this is not a small vessel. In chapter 7, he was told to go put food on it for all the animals. Now, beyond, people will go, well, how did he get all the animals on the ark? God sent them to him. Animals are pretty good about listening to God. When God says go, they don't argue. They just go and do what they're told. And he sent the animals to go to him. He didn't have to go all around the world trying to find them. They came to him. And it says that God sent them clean animals. And it says in the, in the King James, by the sevens, which means when, you, when there was the clean animals, he sent them 14. The unclean animals had two. So when we talk about him getting two animals of every type, the clean animals had 14 animals, not two. So the clean animals, the ones who were worthy of sacrifice, had a lot more. And the birds, for some reason, all got by sevens. I don't know how they got it. The beasts were, were clean and unclean. Now we say this, and this is kind of an interesting thing, because when people read this, they go, well, way back then, they didn't have a religious system that was so well organized that they would have clean and unclean animals. Well, that would be true if man had created worshiping God. But God had created this system of worshiping him, and he had clean and unclean animals right from the very beginning. Why? Because there are carrion, there are animals that, aren't, that are more prone to disease than other animals, and God said, don't eat those. And all the way back in Moses' day, even before the law in Exodus and Leviticus, there were clean and unclean animals for sacrificing and for eating. So it wasn't codified until Exodus and Leviticus, but God had said it right from the very beginning. This is for, for you ladies who are in Job. This is one of the complaints about Job. They look at it, Job and they say, well, it has got well too, everything they're going about their religion is too organized. You know, Job is supposed to be an old book. It can't be that well organized. Again, we've talked about this at various times. You know, and I've asked people, what do you think of when, we hear, when you hear the word prehistoric? You know, and my thought when I hear the word prehistoric is doesn't exist. We have a history from the very beginning of all things in the Bible. There is nothing that's prehistoric for us. What does prehistoric mean to mankind? Stupid, don't know anything, have to learn how to do everything. 
God created Adam and Eve and made them intelligent. They knew how to make clothing. I mean, even before they needed to make clothing, they made clothing out of fig leaves. And God said, no, that's not good enough. We need to give you clothing out of skin and shed, the, shed it. But they were smart enough to know how to make clothing that they had never even needed or thought of. You know, they had known all the stuff. God showed them how to make fire. He's got them giving sacrifices in chapter three, four, when Cain and Abel go out and create a sacrifice on the fire. There wasn't a time when man did not know how to do these things because God taught them. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. And I'm sure that most of it wasn't, how was your day? Or, you know, I hope you had a good day conversations. I think God literally was teaching them what they needed to know. He taught them about the stars and the, and the heavens and all of the, all the information that was in the, in the heavens. He taught them how to do these things. They weren't, they weren't stupid. By Noah's day, they were able to build a boat that stays together in the middle of a storm. All right? They were advanced, way advanced, probably more advanced than we are even in our generation, quite possibly, because God taught them. If you listen to Chuck Mitzler, he goes way far. He, he believes that they were doing gene splicing and everything. I'm not sure I'm going to go that far, but I, I do believe that they were way advanced compared to where we are at. They knew things that we didn't know because God taught. Now, we had to relearn a whole lot after the flood. Eight people still alive, a lot of knowledge would have been lost. Yeah. And I've told you, I, like, I kind of believe that Noah had a library in, his, in, the, in the ark to, to bring books with him to, to relearn things. But still, it would have been a lot lost. He brings these animals on the boat because God says, in seven days, I'm going to send rain. Send rain. I think that Noah did a lot of things in that seven days of period. I'm sure he made sure the things were ready in the boat, but I have one other thing I think he probably did, because Hebrews tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. I believe for seven days he was preaching out there saying, it's time to get on this boat. God is sending the rain. And the people probably were joking at him and laughing at him. Well, you've been saying that for 100 years. We haven't seen any of this so-called rain. You've been building that boat for 100 years. You've been telling us God's going to bring judgment for 100 years. And you know, for us as Christians, we hear that back to us. The ends are coming. We're in the end days. You guys have been saying that for 2,000 years. Yeah, but we're closer today than we were yesterday. You know, but people tend to not hear when it's said over and over again, and, and nobody gets on the boat. The boat is big enough to handle more people, but nobody gets on the boat. Nobody listens. Have you ever been in a place where you're trying to share the gospel message with a family member or a friend or a coworker, and they just won't listen? Or at least they are apparently not listening. You know, and you share and you share and you share and you're just heartbroken, you know, especially if they die without making a profession for Christ. And you're going, I told you. My goal is that, you know, and I'm not perfect at it by a long way, my goal is that nobody up at the White Throne Judgment would be able to point to me and say, you didn't tell me about God. That would be awful. You know, because it really does matter. The gospel message is an eternal decision. We have time in this lifetime, however short or long it is, and even if it's really long, 
somehow you managed to live 300 years. <laughs> in comparison to heaven, it's a short time. And we're making a decision in this lifetime that affects eternity. This is serious. Because I've had people go, well, I don't want people to get mad at me. Well, I think they'll be mad at you a lot longer in eternity for not telling them than they would be on this world. And if they want to be mad at me because I tried to save their eternity, I'd rather have them mad at me for saving eternity than, than to be friends or have them like me. We as Christians have to change our, our thought process. Too many of us are in the game to be liked by the world. We have a message that is not liked by the world. But this message has been going on even down to parents. We've got parents who are trying to be friends with their kids instead of parents with their kids. We've got businesses where the managers and owners are being friends with their employees rather than getting a job done. When we leave the truth of God, things get tough. We need to be ready to say, I am going to stand with God no matter what. Even if it cost me all my friends, all my family. And again, I've told you, that doesn't mean I preach to my family every time I see them. Now, I don't preach to my friends every single time I see them. They, they would get to the place where they see me and they turn around and run the other direction. But is there anybody that you have that's a friend or family member that you have not shared the gospel message with? <coughs> the question is, why haven't you? And people go, well, it took me a long time to make them my friend. They might get mad at me and no longer be my friend. Well, I'd rather have them mad at me and have a chance to go to heaven than happy with me and spend eternity in hell. You know, and this is something that's very important for us. When my sister got back right with God, it was interesting because I went to her and she never talked to me from that, from the, for three years after I talked to her and she started getting back with God until the time she died. But you know what? doesn't bother me, she's in heaven. I have eternity to spend talking to her you know, and enjoying time with her up in, the, in heaven. She did not like it when I told her she did, was not following God in a strong way and needed to turn back. Do you have people that you are willing to make that kind of a stance for and say, you need to know God? Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And most Christians say, well, I'm never, I'm never persecuted. I have nobody who dis dis dislikes me. My statement then is you're not very good Christian. Your, your Christianity is going to bug people. Your Christianity will bug people just walking in without saying anything if they know you're a Christian and they know that you're following God. I've had people that tell me, I don't want to hear you talking anymore. I go, I didn't say anything. But the Holy Spirit, because you bring the Holy Spirit in wherever you go, talks to them. And encounters them. We bring God every place we go when he's inside us because when he says he fills us, the word in Greek that he says when he fills us means he fills us to overflowing. So everywhere you go, the spirit is splashing out of you <laughs> all over people. And the lost world doesn't even like to be splashed by the Holy Spirit. You know, they, make, they make fun of it in the in the horror shows, holy water, keeping the, keeping the demons away. But you know, it has its own principle. We have the Holy Spirit splashing out of us and getting on everybody, getting them wet with the Holy Spirit. And if they're not saved, it drives them crazy. 
you know, you, you can be very nice and just speak kind words to them and you're still being judgmental and mean to them because the Holy Spirit is convicting them. Think back when you got saved. Did you, how did you feel when the Holy Spirit was saying, you are a sinner in need of Christ? And you're going, nope, not me. I'm going to do good things. You know, don't need this Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to do it myself. Noah builds a boat that has one door in it. One door in that boat, and that door is the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He was that door that they had to go through. And God shut the door, as we're going to read in the next verse, to the ark. And you know, you, you think about this. Why did God shut the door to the ark? I really kind of believe it's because Noah's father was out there. His brothers were out there. His sisters were out there. All of his cousins, all these people that were making fun of him. If he had shut the door, he might have been tempted to open the door. And his father dies, excuse me, his grandfather dies the day, the, week, the year that the flood comes. Probably in the flood. His father dies two years before the flood. I'm sorry, I got that backwards. Uh, so his father has died... Because you can imagine what that would be like, your father not being able to get on the ark. How hard that would be for him. Bad enough, grandpa's not getting on the ark. But, you know, you can look at grandpa's, grandpa's lived a long life. He's okay. God shut the door. There is coming a time when the door will be shut. And no more people will be saved. God is going to take the church out, but even then the door is not shut completely because there will be people turning to God during the tribulation period. But at the end of the tribulation period, that door is shut. And Christ will rule on this world, and then he'll give people one more chance. So technically it's not even shut then. Because <laughs> people are going to be born that need to make a commitment for God. And at the end of the thousand years, he's going to destroy this whole world and universe and recreate it. The door will be shut completely. Decisions will be 100% made. The door is partially closed at the rapture, partially more fully closed at the end of the tribulation, and then completely shut at the end of the thousand-year tribulation, uh, millennial reign. And God is reaching out. He has this gift. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And just knowing that is not what gets us into heaven. I've met lots of people, oh, I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe? Well, he existed, he died on a cross. Well, that's wonderful, but what do you believe about him personally? Is he your Lord and Savior? When we come to Christ, we become new creations, and he sets us free. And I know most of the people in this room know that that's a fact. When they got saved, they know that they were set free of their sin. They were set free of their bondage. Does it mean we're perfect and without sin? No, unfortunately it doesn't mean that, but we got set free. Usually from whatever sin had, had us most strongly bound up. You know, sinners, unsaved people are sinners that have no choice in what they do. A sinner is going to sin, which means us too. The saved person knows that we have to repent and give it over to Christ and go forward. The lost person feels guilty and feels condemned. 
They know what they've done is wrong, and they have no hope. Jesus is that hope for us. We come to him, and we turn over our lives to him, and we say, I am a sinner. Noah did not deserve to be on this boat that he created, or made by God's rules. And chapters, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, it said, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the beautiful thing for us. We do not deserve salvation. Nothing we do can get us to earn salvation. Nothing we do can get us to earn God's favor. It is by his grace that he holds out a gift to us and says, here is life. Here is life. Will you accept it? And he comes in and dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit starts changing us. I've said this many times. What got changed in your life when you got saved? And some people go, well, I was real young when I got saved. So was I. I was real young, and God still took something really big out of my life to say, you are a new creation today. You know, and I tell you all, and I've had many people, well, I can't imagine you, but I had a bad temper when I got saved. God took that away. And people go, well, you know, I can't imagine you with a bad temper. That's because you didn't know me 40, uh, 50 years ago when I had a bad temper. I still can, I can still get irked a little bit once in a while, but nothing like it used to be. You know, you look at me wrong back then, and I'd, I'd, I'd be attacking you. You know, I had a bad temper because I did not know God. He changed. Think about this. When you got saved, what changed? Did you become a new creation in Christ? What changed in your life? And then as we walk with him, he sanctifies us, and he takes more and more out of our life. And that's the beauty of walking with him. You're walking along, and all of a sudden, you, and you, you all know what it's like to be reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, that verse jumps off the page of the book and says, I want you to do this. And at that time, we have a choice. Uh, yes, God, I'm going to obey you, or no, God, I'm not going to do it. I highly recommend that you learn at a younger age than, than older to say yes to him, because God has a, his, his uh, option to get what he wants. Uh, he will keep presenting his choice to you over and over and over again until you surrender. And his force gets more and more and more. And we have the free will. We can keep saying no. Just as I tell you, I've said, Saul on the road to Damascus gets knocked off his horse and blind, and he says, what do you want me to do, God? And he says, I want you to go to, Jerusalem, uh, to Damascus and meet this man and, and follow me because I've appointed you to be, be the... Uh, one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul could have said, uh, Saul could have said no. He'd have been blind the rest of his life. He would, have not have, he would not have been doing what God wanted, and God would have still gotten after him to make him do what he wanted to do him. Now, now anybody that is insane would have said, yes, I'm blind, God. You struck me blind. You're talking to me directly. I'm going to follow you. So God kind of said, you're going to do this, and, he's, and he agreed. You know, in my experience in time, there's a certain thing that I disagreed with God, and I spent six years in argument with him, and he made my life pretty miserable for, for that six years. Because he said, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. And eventually, I gave up. And I'm pretty thick-headed and slow and, and stubborn, but I kind of learned over the years to surrender to God pretty quick anymore. Because uh, he's more stubborn than we are. <laughs> When he says we're going to do something, 
we are eventually going to do it. It may take 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years to do it, but he's going to say you're going to do it. Abraham was told to leave the Ur of Chaldees, and I've given you this example before. At 75, he was told to leave the Ur of Chaldees and leave with just himself. Well, he took Sarah, he took Lot, he took, and when he first left, he left it, he brought his father. And he got to Haran and he stopped. And he stayed in Haran for years. <laughs> 20 years until his father died before he finally did what God told him. And we always talk about him leaving Ur of Chaldees and saying, okay, he did what he was told. And he's like many of us. We start down the path of what God says to do, and we get sidetracked. Now, Abraham probably would have done a lot better if he had left his dad in the Ur of Chaldees and left, and he, if he had left Lot in there, that would have been two enemies of Israel that would never have been born. His disobedience had long-term effect on the nation that he was the father of. This is for us to understand. If we want to be disobedient to God, he's still going to get his way, and there's going to be consequences, most likely in our own lifetime, and quite possibly into the, to our family's tree. And this is something we need to be aware of. Our disobedience is not short-lived. People go, well, it just hurts me. No sin just hurts you. There are people who love you that if nothing else are going to be hurt because you're being hurt by, in, in your disobedience and be feeling bad. But usually it has long-term consequences. Noah preaches. And people reject, and they didn't have long-term consequences because they were dead. But you know, if they had just listened to him, Hebrews said he preached. That boat could have been full of people if they had just responded. And I can imagine, once that rain started falling, after they got there with the shock of water falling from the sky, <laughs> there were probably people all around that boat pounding on it. Let us in. Why did God shut that door? Because they had waited too long and it was over. And he did not want Noah even being wanting to risk opening that door. And even when he gets over and we get, when we get done with him floating around for a year, <laughs> it was God who opened the door at the end. You know, and this is what we need to do. We need to understand God is sovereign. Many times we forget that God is the one who's in control. And, you know, it's hard because we know that whosoever will can become a Christian. We have all these things on it, but we also know that God already knows our decisions. And he says, I turn the hearts of kings the way I want. He goes, he says, I will speak in your ear and say this is the way to turn. He does what he wants done. And if you are totally going to reject God, he has somebody else who's going to come in behind you to fill to fulfill the path, but that was because he knew you were going to reject what you should have done. You know, this is interesting when we look at this. We turn our lives over to God to be master and ruler of our life. The problem is we're Americans. We don't like the idea of having a master and ruler over us. We already know this. We, we see this even with the COVID thing. You know, you got to wear a mask, you got to stay home. Whatever the government tells us to do, we chafe at why? Because we're used to taking and saying, well, we don't like you, we're going to replace you. 
And many of these leaders may get replaced in the next election because of the reaction that people have to them. And that's good. We have that say in our God-given country. But while they're in power, our job is to be obedient and listen and obey to within, our, within the power. Now, if they're telling us not to do something that God says to do, then we need to obey God rather than men. This is what the disciples told the people. They said, we told you not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, we've got to obey God rather than men. And what was that that happened? It did not release them of the consequence of the disobedience. When they preached in the name of Jesus, they were beaten and thrown into prisons. That was a consequence of being disobedient to the human law. Now, the human government will have to answer God, will have to answer to God later, but if you disobey the government in the name of God, be ready to face the consequence because you are in disobedience to the government. There will be a time when we will have to make decisions. Are we going to preach? Are we going to disciple? Are we going to teach others? And it may mean prison. It may mean uh, heavy punishments. Even in COVID-19, there are churches that have to decide in certain states whether they're even going to meet because the government says they can't. And God tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and so much more as we see the day approaching. And I already told you, if the state told us we weren't meeting, I was meeting. <laughs> you know, and said, you guys do what you want, but I'm going to be here. And you know, most of you said, yes, we're going to be here too. So far in our state, we haven't had to face that. But you know, that is one where I'm, I'm willing to take a stand. Wearing a mask is a little more tougher. I hate the mask. I don't think they're all that use, useful and important. But you know what? When I go to the store in Kingman, Kingman said you must wear a mask. I put, I put my mask as I'm walking under the door, and as soon as I come out of the door, my mask comes off. They said I had to wear it when I'm in the store, and that's when I wear it. When I'm at my other job, they say I have to have my mask on. I put my mask on. Why? Because there's really nothing un, unbiblical about wearing a mask. If I'm taking my freedom to the point of I'm going to be disobedient on something that God doesn't talk about, I've made an idol out of freedom. And I don't need an idol out of freedom. But if it comes to what am I going to do inside the church and, and, and witnessing to people outside the church, that's another story altogether. I'm going to fight tooth and nail to follow God in that area, even if it means that one day I'm wearing orange inside a prison because I will not, I will not reject God. And you know what? That's not uncommon. Every one of the disciples spent time in prison. Every one of the disciples except John were martyred, had their heads cut off. You know, and it wasn't out of lack of trying. Rome boiled John in oil. They poisoned him. They sent him to the insane asylum on Pat Patmos where dangerously insane people were hoping he'd die. And, he, and God protected him over and over again. You know, Thomas was was attached to three, uh, four animals and pulled into four different directions. These men died for what they believe, and they preached the gospel. And yet we in America have a hard time sharing the gospel because somebody might not like us. They might call us a name. If we can't do it now, there's no way we're going to be doing it down the road. And the road is coming without a revival hitting our country and hitting the world, it is coming that we will be punished for being Christians. 
And if you don't believe it, just look at the history of Russia, look at the history of China. Christianity was rampant in those countries until communism came into those countries and they turned in just weeks to months into some place where Christians were imprisoned and dying. And I'm not trying to scare people, but I'm saying be ready. Make your decision to follow God now. If you can't talk and follow God now when there's little to no persecution, you won't all of a sudden say, well, gee, I'll, I'll go start talking about God. I can lose my life. You know, when it gets that serious, you're not going to start. We need to start today you know, to talk about God. And that doesn't mean we have to be obnoxious about it. You, know, you can talk about people and bring up conversation to God pretty easy. Even out in the prison, you know, people will open up the question quite in all the time. Once they open up the question, it's free, it's free game to talk to them about it. Now, Royce is a chaplain, so he gets, he gets to talk about it even without him opening it. Now, I'm an instructor, but you know how many times God has opened up the question with me to talk to them? They'll ask a Bible question. They'll ask something simple. Why are you, why are you smile? Why, why do you seem to always be happy? Do you live a life that's going to draw people to listen to you? When people look at us, they, number one, should think that we, we Christians are weird and strange anyway. We don't live the way they do. We don't think the way they do. We don't act the way they do. And if you're not following God, then you don't know what this means, but it's kind of an interesting thing. A Christian should be following God, not because it's earning them heaven, but because the Holy Spirit is in them, changing them who they are. They should not be out committing adultery and fornication and homosexuality. They should not be out getting drunk. They should not be out telling lies. They should not be out doing all these things. And people look at you and say, well, you're weird. You know, I tell new guys that get married sometimes, they go, well, I can still look as long as I don't touch. I go, no, Job says you don't even look. Because if you look too long, you will be tempted. And if you get tempted long enough, you will fall. And we as Christians need to guard our minds. What do we look at? What do we watch? What do we read? Are we filling our minds with God's truth to protect us? Or are we filling our minds with garbage? And then Jesus said, out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. And I add to that, we will also do. We know, and you all know, you know somebody who, you know, it lives this way. They fill their mind with something over and over, and then you're not surprised when they act it out. We're not surprised in our day that people are violent when all they watch on television and movies is violence. And in the movies and the television, they get away with their violence most of the time, so they think they're going to get away with it. But there's always consequences. What do we fill our minds with? How much time do we spend in God's Word? learning his word, learning how to think. The more time you spend in God's word, the more you're going to be convicted about what you are watching and reading outside of his word. I, I've come to a place where I can barely watch TV anymore. Even the good old shows from the 50s and 60s aren't really that good <laughs> because I'd rather just get to know God. Now, if you're going to make a choice, I'd rather you watch the 50s and 60s shows because they were better than today's shows, but they still weren't godly shows for the most part. What are we looking at? How are we filling our minds? What do we do? What do we listen to? 
I love it when people go, well, you know, that music has terrible words. Well, I don't know the words, as they're singing every word to every song that comes along. Uh, well, you're singing the song, so you seem to know the words. Uh, but they don't affect me. You know how many times as a Christian, because I've listened to Christian music most of my life, a Christian song will pop into my mind, just out of the blue, I'll be humming or singing a song, and then the truth of that song will be just what I need for what I'm getting ready to face. We need to learn our songs. We need to learn the Bible verses so that when we are in trials and tribulations, these thoughts will come to our mind. When we're tempted to look at the wrong things, we look, and we hear Job's words, I have made a covenant with my heart, with my, with my eyes, not to look at a maiden with, with uh, to covet after a woman, to look after her in covetousness. <laughs> you know, uh, thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. God's word will help us make the right decisions when it is deep into our heart. Am I saying you can't be a Christian without all of this? No, because Christianity is a free gift. I've accepted Jesus Christ and I made him my Lord. I may be a, a servant that's being beat all the time, but he wants us to be the servant who wants to serve, that is free to serve, that is the bond slave that says, God, I just want to serve for you. I don't want, an I don't want another master. I just want you. What a beautiful thing he offers for us to be our master. That we can reach to the world and see people saved to go to heaven. This is the beauty of coming to the cross and having God lift the burden of sin off of you. Lifting the power of sin off of you. Making you no longer a slave to sin, but a victor. Who are overcomers? In 1 John, he says, overcomers are those that believe in Christ. Just believing in him makes us an overcomer. Because he comes in, he crucifies our flesh, and he makes us overcomers. He gives us that strength to be victorious. This is why I say over and over, it is an easy thing to be a Christian. All I've got to do is let God crucify me. Now, having said that, it's also not easy to be a Christian because I've got to let God crucify me. And it hurts to be crucified. It hurts when he says, I want this out of your life because it's not good for you. God, I really like it. I've been doing this activity for 40 years. And God says, it's coming out. And he takes it out. The good news is everything he takes out, he replaces with something that's so much more better this is a great thing I've looked at. When God says, I want you to take this out of your life, I'll go, God, I really like doing that. And sometimes he's going to take things out of your life that aren't even necessarily sin, but they take time away from God. He says, I want to remove this from your life, and I'm going to put time in with me. What he replaces, that thing he takes out, is so much better. And the more we learn to trust him, the easier it is to follow him. God says, I want you to give this up. Okay, God, I'm looking forward to what you're going to put in this place. I really like that, but I'm looking forward to what you're putting in this place. Everything I've given up that I thought I would miss in my lifetime, God has put something else better in its place. And it's like, wow, God, you, you love us. 
you love us. Too many people have a picture of God up there with a little eyedropper saying, okay, you get one drop of blessing in a decade. God is up there wanting to bless us, wanting to give us great things. He says he wants to pour out heaven upon us. And we're looking at him like he's a, a Scrooge up there hating everything he gives us. And he's up there saying, I wish you guys would just be, be ready to receive what I want to give you. We need to change the way we think about God. If you're his child, he wants to bless you. He's not up there withholding things and saying, well, I gave you too much. Can't give you any more. Whoops, I actually gave, accidentally dropped three drops on you. You can't have a blessing now for, for, for three days because you had more than your dose. That's not his thought process. He's up there saying, I want to bless you. Now, what are blessings? That's a whole other story. That's a message we're not going to get in today. We're not talking about necessarily money and things. Just one of the great blessings he gives us, peace. A peace that passes understanding. And when you know that he's in charge, you can have peace. There is nothing in your life that's going to happen to you that God does not already know is going to happen. And he has a plan for that event in your life already in place. Why? Because God is outside of time. He's already, he's already at the end of time waiting for us to get there. When God says he loves us and that we're perfect, how can he say that? Because he already knows that we are perfect. He's with us when we are perfect. He's outside of time. He is not bound by this watching us become perfect. He says, hey, I know what you are. You are perfect. He goes, no, I'm aware that you're learning to be perfect, but he goes, as far as I'm concerned, you are what I say you will be. We have to get out of our mindset and say, God, just change me. Make me who you say I am. And then be ready to watch him change you. It's, it hurts as he pulls and pulls things out. And the deeper something's in, the harder it is to pull out. Those who have ever pulled weeds know sometimes those weeds pop right out. They, they have no root in them. Sometimes you go to pull weed and you're, you have to go get the shovel and, the, and everything to dig them out. And the, the, the root went down two or three feet and you're digging and digging and digging to get to that root and finally it comes out. Sometimes God has things in our life that are that way. They're so deeply attached to our soul that he brings out the shovels. And it hurts. Other times he just pops it right out and we don't even know that it's missing. What is your decision for God today? If you don't know God, today is a day to make that decision. God, I'm a sinner. I need you to come into my life. Save me. But even for us as his followers, if you know that you know God, the time today is to say, God, I need to make you Lord in my life. And for all of us, we can say, God, I need you to be more of the Lord and Master in my life. Because none of us are perfect in that area. I know that I'm not. Now, some of you are closer probably than, to it than I am, but I know that I'm not. I know that I need more and more of him in my life. I need him to change me more and more. And for each one of us, our prayer should be, God, help me let you be more Lord and Master in my life. Help me follow you better, quicker, faster. Help me have a changed heart to seek you and follow you. And this is where the importance is because it really is not hard to walk with God when we let him do all the work. 
It hurts sometimes when he says, I'm going to take this out of your life, but it's not hard. We just follow him. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we ask that you go with us. Teach us to follow you in a stronger way. Lord, soften our hearts that we will respond quickly to your message and your leadership and your lordship. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes. Get us into your word and teach us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.